0: The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. Around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner operators are using Bentley software solutions to accelerate project delivery and improve asset performance for the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment. Together, we are advancing infrastructure.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective, where we'll be looking ahead to the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference of the Parties, that many people will better know as COP26, which is due to be held in Glasgow this November, and will be considering what civil engineers should be demanding is discussed at the event, and also how the decisions made there might affect their day-to-day work in the future. My name's Claire Smith, and I'm Editor of New Civil Engineer, and joining me today from our news team is our reporter, Catherine Kennedy. And we're going to be talking about COP26 with Philippa Spence, who is Rambles Environment and Health UK Managing Principal and Country Market Director.
2: Philippa has more than 20 years experience working with a wide range of clients in sectors including mining, energy, finance, infrastructure, telecommunications, aviation, healthcare and agribusiness. She is a recognised industry expert in delivering complex environmental and social projects and advising on the sustainable development of major capital projects. She also has particular expertise in sustainable finance, working closely with development and commercial banks, export credit agencies and private equity firms to manage their environmental, social and governance risks and opportunities, and to maximise the positive impact of investment. She has extensive experience of working with clients' senior leadership teams to shape strategy at the corporate and operational level to enable its successful implementation.
1: So welcome to the Engineers' Collective, Philippa.
2: Oh, it's a real honour. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you, Claire and Catherine.
1: Thank you. So for those of our listeners who don't know, can you explain what COP26 is and why is it so important in terms of managing the climate emergency?
0: Sure. So COP, and I have to warn you, there are so many acronyms in this sort of space Mm -hmm. and area, but COP stands for Conference of Parties, and it's the key decision-making body for a really important convention, That's the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And it's made up of representatives from all the different countries that have signed that convention. And the the 2021 meeting is really, really critical. And it's it's the 26th. That's why it's called COP26. And it's going to take place this year, should have been last year, but it was delayed because of the pandemic. But I'd say it's critical for a number of reasons. The, The first is that it's got to achieve a whole lot of outcomes that previous COPs have failed to do. So there have been 25 previous COPs. There has been progress through all of those, but there's a whole number of outstanding requirements that have to be uh, agreed, really, at, at this one. The other big point is that this is the decade where we have to make the change. Um, we literally have a decade, till 2030. well, it's nine years now, um, in order to really make What is transformational change if we're going to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees? And to do that, we have to achieve emissions reductions of 45% from 2010 levels in this decade. And then we've obviously got to go further than that to achieve net zero by mid-century. So you can see there's a whole lot riding on COP26.
2: And what then have been the, the sort of key events that have come out of previous COP meetings?
0: Sure. Now, there's um, quite a long answer to that, so you're going to have to bear with me a, a little <laughs> bit on that. I mean, the short answer is that the previous COPs have paved the way for the climate commitments and the evolving regulation that we've got today. And they have, I mean, they've achieved a lot in in some ways, but not enough in, in others. And what I would say about previous COPs is that they have been really challenging, and every single step forward has been hard fought between all the the different nations that have had to agree this. You know, 197 in all. But let's let's have a look at the history. If you if, bear with me on that, and the first one was in 1995. It brought us a kind of loose set of commitments, um, quite indefinite, that allowed countries to effectively choose the initiatives as as they wished. Fast forward to 1997, and we had a really important moment. We had the Kyoto Protocol, and that is where some binding targets for GHG emissions were agreed for 37 industrialized nations. But the problem there was two of the biggest emitters, so China and the US, didn't ratify that. And then we had a whole bunch of intermediate years, 1998 to 2014, where some progress was made, but in many ways, really not enough. And that's a lot of years. And then we hit 2015. And that's when we got the Paris Agreement, which is really material and has been, you know, so, so important for where we are now. And that was signed by 197 countries. And that was where the agreement was to limit global warming to two degrees by reducing GHG emissions caused by fossil fuels. So that was a big sort of a, a, agreement. And then After that, it it got stickier because by 2018 we had COP24 and that was where there was an intention to agree rules to implement the Paris Agreement. And those rules, the practicalities, what are we actually going to do? What is each country going to do to limit uh, GHGs hadn't been agreed and they still weren't at COP24. And then there was a second attempt at COP25, which was in uh, 2019, and that was, to be frank, considered a terrible failure. Countries failed to agree the kind of rules of engagement and um, some of the key outcomes that they needed, and in particular, rules to set up a global carbon trading system and a system to channel uh, new finance to countries that were being very much affected by and needed support of richer nations. So that brings us to where we are now, COP26, which means that all of those um, sort of outstanding uh, rules of engagement and and, uh, agreements still need to be achieved. That's why there's so much riding on on COP26.
1: Yeah, so the pressure is certainly on for this year, isn't it? Very much so. So what would be on your wish list of decisions to actually be made this time round?
0: Um, So there'd be a few things. As we move towards COP26, the nationally determined contributions, um, the NDCs, are being submitted ahead of it. And these are the national climate plans that are basically going to explain the climate actions, uh, including targets and policies and measures that different governments will commit to in order to make their contribution. So my first wish was that those NDCs will be ambitious enough. Now, unfortunately, thus far, based on what we've seen, they simply aren't I was listening to uh, Patricia Espinosa, the executive secretary of the UNFCCC, and she was saying that actually they've tottered it up. And at the moment, what we're seeing is that we're getting less than 1% reduction in emissions um, when we need 45. So first prize, we see greater levels of ambition. We see a recognition that that's not enough and a greater level of ambition. Second is that piece I was referring to before the parties represented must agree the rule book on the operation of the Paris Agreement. And specifically, the most contentious article, which is called Article 6, which relates to how countries can reduce their emissions using international carbon markets. So that's uh, carbon pricing, carbon taxation. That has to be agreed. So that's uh, point number two. And the third very, very important piece for me would be really getting clarity that developing countries will get the support that they need from richer industrialised nations to be able to implement their NDCs. So those are the three things I'd really love to see.
2: Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned those NDCs there and has the government sort of set out anything else so far regarding what else will be discussed and is there a sense yet of what actions are likely to be put in place? So the government has actually set up quite a
0: clear set of uh, expectations or themes that they will cover. And I do think they're the right themes. So just b- very broadly, there's um, five of them. Adaptation and resilience is the is the first one. Helping communities globally to adapt to the impact of climate change, which is absolutely critical. The second is nature. And what we're really seeing is the climate conversation and the nature conversation coming together very much. And so it's great to see that there's that recognition that humanity is effectively facing these twin threats. The third is energy transition really important. how are we going to decarbonize the power sector? The fourth is accelerating net zero in the transport um, in road transport in particular because that is the area that where we've got emissions growing at the fastest rates and that needs to be brought down. And then finally very important is finance. So how are we going to finance? Where are we going to get the trillions that are needed of investment to enable this shift to a low carbon uh, economy? So um, those are the sort of things that the government has set out as their priority areas um, that they want to discuss and get outcomes on. I think they're the right ones. Um, so it's good to see.
1: So it sounds like they've got all the headline titles right. Mm-hmm. But do you think there's some shortfalls in the detail of what's been set out so far? I think that, the sense I get is they're still working some of that detail
0: out. The first time I heard Alex Sharma presenting the the focus of COP26, I thought, ooh, I didn't have the same um, sense of confidence that um, I've now seen seeing those five points. If I'm to be honest, I think it's been difficult for the UK government in preparing for this because there's been so much focus on the pandemic, very understandably. I think they're working very hard, very fast to try and get that detail in. Frankly, I don't think it's all there yet. But what I do like in terms of what I've seen is the amount of listening they're doing. So when I look at some of the COP26 um, sessions that are being held sort of in advance by Alex Sharma and and colleagues, I do get the sense that there's a lot of listening going on in terms of what other parties want to achieve, what they're worried about and so on. And so in a way, I think that it's quite good that they're doing that and that they are perhaps shaping the, the, the detail in preparation based on consultation with others. So, you know, for me that's that's a pretty positive position to be in.
1: It's surely you've got to be better to be able to deliver it. It's actually being worked out with other people rather than just being broadcasting from the top and saying you must do this. Do you know I think that's so important
0: because um never before has there except perhaps even most recently in terms of the global response to COVID, has there been need for such a collaborative effort? You know, this is it's sort of unprecedented. We have to get the whole world to agree to share a path to a low carbon economy, to net zero ultimately, and so I think leading by example through consultation is actually a critical part of this. I totally agree.
2: Yeah, there's just so many different strands to come together, aren't there? And so many different people. I, I totally agree. It, it really is, and uh, the level of complexity of this
0: journey we're on mm-hmm. can't be underestimated.
2: And. Another thing that there has been a lot of discussion around and that we have covered a fair bit is the coal mine in Cumbria, which the decision around the planning approval and then the review of that. And do you think that is going to to come under the spotlight a bit, given that the UK is hosting the event? Because I know a lot of people have been saying that has undermined the UK's position in, in hosting COP26. Almost
0: certainly the, the thing about hosting COP26 is that really we need to lead by example. And also the UK wants to lead by example because it wants to become a kind of green superpower, selling great green technology and so on. And it is very unfortunate that we are where we are with this Cumbrian coal mine. The optics are absolutely awful on it. And the fact that uh, it does undermine the fact that the government is trying to, the UK is trying to be a climate leader, you know, I've I've listened to and read all the different positions on it. I think at the end of the day, it's a terrible idea. And it really needs to have a clear and final decision made well in advance of, of COP26. And not just because of COP26, but because it's the right thing to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I would love to see that that clarity come through. It is good that it's being reviewed again. But, you know, from from my perspective, this isn't something we should be entertaining.
1: So, what other decisions do you think the UK will be scrutinised on when all the delegates come to Glasgow? Do you think there are other projects and other decisions that are going to come under the spotlight in the same way?
0: Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, and I think that, but I don't think this is just unique to the UK, but certainly in the UK, every major capital project will be scrutinised, be it from High Speed 2 to other major road schemes. And the question will rightly be asked what are the climate considerations that have gone into this? you know, what is the embodied carbon? What is the operational carbon? Has it been sufficiently well considered? So I think we need to be prepared for that. And certainly when it comes to civil engineers, we need to be prepared for that if we're involved in in those schemes, uh, as as most are. So that was, that's the one thing. And I think we're still on a journey in that regard, because this area is moving so fast, that we haven't always got to where we need to, because some of the schemes predate these considerations. And the the way they're being focused on so acutely at, at the moment. So I think that's the the first piece. I think the second um will be actually around emissions that go outside of our borders. So what are we what are we as a, a country actually importing that has really had significant um impact? be it through fossil fuel use or whatever it may be, that are outside of our borders. So it's one thing cleaning up inside our borders, but what is sitting in our supply chains? And I think that is a really big challenge, be it for a company or for a country. Uh, and everyone is grappling with that. And I'd like to think that the UK is, is also working that out. I mean, you've, you've seen um, already UK export finance came under a lot of pressure because of all the um, oil and gas projects that were being financed or underwritten, by, by the UK government. Luckily, that there's been shift there, which is recognised, actually, um, that is, we, we should really be focusing on green, green energy outside of the UK's borders. So those kinds of shifts and changes are being made. But we're still, I think, as a country working it out. And I do think that will be, again, a focus area.
2: And thinking, I suppose, slightly um, more specifically about civil engineers themselves, what, what does COP26 mean for them and for the, the industry then?
0: It's a really important moment for, for the industry. It's a really important event. Civil engineers have to consider climate change risk in their design, in the delivery, in the operation of, of infrastructure. And, you know, as in terms of the professional duty of care that civil engineers have to place in undertaking their work, climate change risks have to be part of that. And what COP26 will do is it will frame what that means in the UK, but also globally going forward. And we will get a very, we will quickly get a sense of just how much and how fast things will change at COP26. I think we need to be prepared, whatever the level of ambition is that comes out of COP26, that we, civil engineers, have to consider embodied and operational carbon in all their work. Climate considerations have to become a norm in everything that is done and not the exception. So I'd say probably one of the most important things civil engineers can do now is upskill. We have to upskill and we have to upskill at speed and really learn how to, to to do that but also we don't have all the answers so the second thing i would say is that cop26 will give a sense of just how fast we have to innovate we already know that we don't have all the answers and so um the focus on innovation is really really going to be critical uh going forward and i think that's wonderful because it's 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 exciting it, there's a real purpose to that uh, which is a, a burning platform so i i do think this is going to be a very motivating aspect for civil engineers and as I say, COP26 will frame the speed Mm -hmm. with which we have to move.
2: And those kind of ideas surrounding climate change and upskilling and innovation for the industry are those the main things they should be looking for you know as civil engineers is that what we're looking for out of of the event or is there anything else? Well I think
0: I think in terms of those kind of key themes that we were, we were talking about, that the government has set out, adaptation, resilience, nature, energy transition, and so on, will sort of focus the mind, uh, focus w- what we need to be able to provide. So nature-based solutions, if you like, mm-hmm. would be one very specific area where we need to, to upskill. The second is the focus on transport you know, we do have a huge plan around growing infrastructure in the UK. It's part of our green recovery. But how are we going to make that green? And some of those specifics will come out in some way out of COP26. But we do need to remember that COP26, at the end of the day, is quite high level. So we're going to get the the, the broader themes. And then very swiftly after that, we are going to have to work it out. Okay, so We've got to listen carefully to uh, the themes, the specifics and the level of ambition. And then we have to move fast mm-hmm. to say, OK, what are the tangibles then? What does that actually mean for this sector, for this industry?
1: So, How do you think the industry will take those decisions from the high level and take it down to what they do day to day and make those decisions affect what they do? One of the most important things, I
0: think, is to actually put the time aside to work that out. So as industry bodies, civil engineering industry bodies, but also as different organisations, we actually have to sit down and work it through. In Ramble, what we're doing at the moment, we, we've got a, an internal commitment around making sure that we've got climate considerations in all that we do. So what that practically means is actually taking literally every activity that we're doing. I'll give you a very specific example. It's called challenging the brief. We get a brief from a client. We look at that brief and we say, OK, how, how do we take that and make it as low carbon or ideally really show the route map to net zero in that brief? And then we use every tool at our disposal, be it digital, uh, be it other something other than that, be it nature-based solutions, whatever the, the case is. And we try and have a conversation with our client about that to really show them what the options are. Now, sometimes that's an open door, sometimes it's less so, but at the end of the day, we certainly try and put that, push that forward and saying, look, there are other ways of doing this, so we challenge the brief. It's those kinds of specific examples that we really need to undertake. We've got to take it from being a high-level concept down to, to, to those specifics, and that needs time. It needs diversity of thought. It needs a willingness to challenge tried and tested ways of doing things. And it needs some courage because sometimes that does involve taking different routes and and being willing to try things that are innovative, are to, to some extent untried and untested and obviously doing that in a safe way. But that's what I would say is practically what was required.
2: So do you think the industry does need to become more self-regulating then when it comes to tackling climate change and kind of push on from the decisions that are made at big events like COP26? Is that where Rambles this approach comes in in that way? I, I absolutely think it
0: does. And what I
2: found is one of the most interesting
0: aspects of the transition to the low carbon economy is just how strongly it's being enabled by different sectors of their own choosing, so we've seen that really powerfully in the finance sector we've seen um, the task force for climate related financial disclosures really self you know aiming to, to set the parameters for itself and and to see that through and not quite at the self policing stage yet but certainly putting pressure on one another in order to to push the boat out a bit. but I think that we're also seeing that in engineering generally. I do think we have to set our own level of ambition here. I think that direction of travel is sufficiently clear that we can do that and we should do that. So, yes, I would love to see it more self-regulating. The only counter to that, I would say, is that self-regulation can be very, very weak. You only get so far with that. And what we really need to see is governments, including our own government, setting the policy, setting the parameters, codifying the direction of travel, in a way that makes us easier we, we can never expect that market forces alone will provide the structure you know i've seen wonderful levels of ambition and enthusiasm around this in the engineering sector but we do need government to really set the parameters um, for us
1: because engineers do love codes and guidance and all that kind of thing don't they absolutely but talking about that kind of thing of having codes and guides and things, by the time we get to COP26, it'll be six years since the UN's Sustainable Development Goals were published, with a view to them being implemented system-wide by 2030. In 2015, 15 years, it, it seemed possible to do that, but now that deadline is nine years away. Do you think that civil engineers have, have enough awareness of the Sustainable Development Goals? And what are the implications for Society of Civil Engineers and not taking these and putting them into the centre of their everyday work, do you think?
0: I have to be honest, and I'm not convinced that the sustainable development goals are front of mind in an obvious way to all civil engineers. I know that some of the evolving kind of design principles that would underpin and enable the sustainable development goals are happening anyway. So inclusive design, uh, as I've referenced earlier, nature-based solutions, those sorts of things. But I do think we actually need to bring them back to the forefront They're a wonderful set of of goals. They are very clear. They're very accessible. I'm not saying the answers are are easy. But the reason why it's so important for civil engineers is because civil engineers are right in the driving seat in terms of being involved directly in design decisions to be able to consider how to implement and enable the sustainable development goals to be achieved. And that's particularly in um, sort of emerging economies so I would love to see a um, a greater focus. I feel like the Sustainable Development Goal focus that was much stronger, you know, some years ago has somehow dissipated. But I think that we should, we should be actually focusing on bringing that back.
2: And do you think then will the Sustainable Development Goals come under the spotlight at COP26?
0: Do you know, I don't know the answer to that. I would like that to be the case because... So much effort has gone into them that I would like to make sure that, you know, it would be wonderful if they they, they were put back on the table in a very um, clear way. In any case, they will be forming a backdrop because, you know, cu- the current levels of global warming are definitely already producing negative impacts to natural and to human um, systems. So, um, And they're really f- seriously affecting the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals one way or the other. So if it's not at COP26, I hope it will be swiftly after that that connection is actually made.
1: Yeah, it certainly would seem like you end up thinking to do that, wouldn't it?
0: It certainly would, I agree.
1: So if you could urge the civil engineering industry to do one thing ahead of COP26 to make a real difference, what would it be?
0: Read, be involved, upskill. So it's not one, but I, I think if I was to put it in maybe one One sort of phrase, it would be raise your capacity, understand why this matters so much, and then think deeply about what it is that as a civil engineer you can do to really be part of what is an essential transition to a low-carbon economy. It is absolutely critical that we get there. And it's as I said earlier, it's probably the biggest collaborative exercise ever that will be required if we are to achieve the goals that are uh, intended to be achieved through COP26.
1: There are certainly some challenges ahead for the civil engineering industry, but finding solutions to such challenges is what engineers thrive on. And I really hope COP26 will focus the minds of the industry on the role it has to play in tackling the climate emergency we now face. So thank you very much for joining us today, Philippa, to talk us through it. We've got. How many months is it? Six months to go? Yes, there or thereabouts. More than that. I've lost track of which I am, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens and what comes out of it. We'll be, certainly be reporting on it. So thank you.
0: That was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, Catherine. This podcast is brought to you in association with Bentley Systems. With digital technology changing the way the world lives, it's time to apply digital technology on infrastructure projects to close the productivity gap with other industries. Work with a partner you can trust and accelerate your pace if possible by going digital with Bentley at Bentley.com.